All right, so welcome. My name's Adam. I'm sure I think everybody here knows me. I won't introduce myself. Last week, then, we uh, began a two-parter. Uh, just two weeks. Choose a different story. From next week, we're going to head back into the book of Acts. Remember, early on in the year, we worked our way from Acts 1 through to Acts, the end of Acts 4. We're going to start in Acts 5 from next week, and for October and November, we're going to be continuing our journey through Acts. But for today, we're going to have the second part of our message, Choose a Different Story. And if you remember I started with a a question and the question was this is there an aspect of my life or is there an aspect of your life that you wish was different or that you think should be different Uh, maybe an aspect of kind of my character that is not as I know it should be, or maybe there is uh, a choice that I made in the past that I'm continuing to kind of reap the kind of the results of, uh, or maybe there's a, a habit or an addiction in my life, uh, uh, or, or a way that I kind of always respond to a challenging situation. Maybe I always lose my temper, or maybe I kind of kind of just get grumpy, or maybe there's just some aspect in my life that's not as I want it to be or some aspect of my character. It could be a, a habitual sin that I keep coming back to or a, an illness, a physical condition, a mental or a, a, a emotional condition. But the thing is I've lived with this thing for so long and maybe you've lived with this thing for so long that it's just become part of your identity. And it becomes like, oh no, that's just who I am. And maybe you say that, maybe, oh no, yeah, I know. And kind of when you start, in the, in the clear light of day, you think about it, you, you know that it's not a good thing, that it's, that it's a dysfunction, it's a weakness. But at the same time, you say, this is just who I am. I will always have this. Last week, we read the account of Jesus uh, coming into Jerusalem, into the pool of Bethesda. Anybody remember what Bethesda means? House of mercy. Remember, the word Beth means house, and Bethesda means house of mercy. And in the pool of Bethesda, this place in Jerusalem, there's these five covered areas where all these people with various infirmities stay, hoping that there's going to be a disturbance in the water because they have this belief that if the water is kind of desert, there starts to ripple, the first one in the water gets healed, like a race to get healed. And they have this kind of almost a superstitious belief that this would happen. And this guy that we met last week in John chapter 5, he's been there for 38 years, struggling with the same infirmity, the same weakness. It's become part of his identity. This is just who I am. And he's made excuses about why he hasn't made it into the pool. And we talked about that house, you know, sometimes we make excuses for our, for our weaknesses. And he's also kind of, he's got one foot in the past. He can't see a different future. He can, he's, he's looking at the future through the lens of his past and he can't see beyond how he's always been. And then, he encounters Jesus. Jesus comes up to him and, and, the, and, the, and the passage says, Jesus saw him and he knew him. Like, he knew him. He knew him warts and all. He knew his weakness. He knew his infirmity. He knew what was going on in his life. Jesus saw him and he knew him. And Jesus asked him this question. And it was a question that we asked ourselves last week. And it's this question. Do you want to get well do you want to get well do you want it because you've got to want it 
And if you've been holding on to it, if you've been holding on to this thing and made it part of your identity, you need to have a change of thinking. Do you want to get well? And it's a question that Jesus is asking us. Do you want a different story? Do you want to stop living your life through the lens of your past? And are you ready to say, my past doesn't define me? Yes, that's true. I did all that. I was that. Now I can be something different. And the future that God has for me is filled with hope. And it's free from this weakness. His plan for me is freedom. It's his promises. It's the promised land. And it's time for me to face this battle and walk into it. It's time for me to choose a different story. And we need to perhaps look at our life a little bit logically and say, well, if I keep going on, on, you know, with this part of me, with this infirmity, this weakness, I'm heading in this direction, so I'm going to end up here. I actually want to end up here. So what I need to do is make a change of direction because it's the direction of my life that will ultimately determine the destination of my life. It's not my good intentions. It's not by deciding I want this. It's the direction that I'm traveling that will determine where I end up. And we said last week that the best time to make a decision to move in a different direction was when that weakness or habit or dysfunction, when it first reared its head, when it was first there. That's the best time to deal with it because it's easier. But that's in the past, and we can't go back in the past. So we said, well, the second best time to deal with it is now. It's today. The second best time to deal with this is today. Do you want to get well? Do you want a different story? So Jesus, I want you to imagine Jesus is here, okay? Maybe you don't have to imagine it because he is here, all right? Jesus is here, and he's standing in front of you, just you right now and he's looking into your eyes and he's saying to you do you want to get well I've already done I've already paid the price I've already done everything necessary for you to live in freedom yes I died on the cross so you can have salvation but I also did so much more than that and I'm also offering so much more than that I'm offering you life in all of its fullness do you want to choose a different story? So we finished last week by seeing what Jesus gave to the man at the pool of Bethesda. Um, bang! Can you move on to the next slide, please, Phoebe? That'd be great. Thank you. Um, it says this. Uh, instantly, the man became well and recovered his strength and picked up his bed and walked. That's what happens at the end of the Jesus, his encounter with Jesus. He picks up his bed and he walks. But there's these four things. And I think these are the four things that Jesus is offering us today. He's offering us healing. He's offering us the opportunity to get healed. And maybe you are here today and you've been suffering from a physical illness for a while. Jesus, it says, I read this morning in Matthew 12, Jesus healed all to him, all who came to him. He healed everybody. And I just wonder whether Jesus wants to do something today for us and through us. He offers us recovery of what was lost. We know that the man, it says, he recovered his strength. He'd been wasting away almost. You know, his muscles had atrophied for 38 years. He had no muscle. And it's Jesus, he stood up. And he recovered his strength. His muscles, they just grew like me. Uh, he offered him the strength to carry. He told him to carry his mat. 
And Jesus gives us and he offers us the strength to carry what we need to carry. And the last thing he offers us is the direction of travel. He tells us to walk and he tells us the way to go. Proverbs 3 verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. He will show you the way to go. He will make your paths straight. All right, so do you want to get well? We're going to choose a different story. So what is this path that uh, God is directing us on? Okay, how does he want us to live? How does he want to experience? What's the freedom that he's been talking about? Well, today we're going to focus on a single psalm. It's probably the most famous psalm in the Bible. And I'm sure if I asked you if you know what it is, you would say, yeah, I know what it is, because I've just said it's the most famous psalm in the Bible. It's just six verses long. You definitely will have read it, perhaps. You've probably sung it if you've been to a wedding or a funeral. Maybe you've got it on a fridge magnet or a poster. It's Psalm 23 that starts with, the Lord is my shepherd Um, great it's beautiful it's rich language and it gives us a whole heap of truth about the life that Jesus is calling us to live or the life that he's offering uh, to us so I'm just going to read all the way through Psalm 23 and what we're going to do we're going to unpack it verse by verse this morning and if you have a notebook and pen I would encourage you to make notes because today's stuff is excellent okay it's the bible of course it's excellent the lord is my shepherd I shall not want He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Can I have the next slide, please, Phoebe? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Can you go? You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. And the next slide. This is going so well. You are so happy about this, aren't you? You're so happy. Um, My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. (laughs) And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Great. All right. So there we have Psalm 23. Um, And we're going to pick this apart verse by verse. Uh, We're going to start with verse 1. If you can put the first verse up, please, Phoebe. The one that just says, the Lord is my shepherd. That one. There we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Firstly, he is my shepherd. Sounds obvious, right? What does that make me? His sheep. He is my shepherd. I am the sheep. That's our relationship. The relationship is shepherd and sheep. And as a sheep, I get all I need from the shepherd. The shepherd gives me everything that I need. In some translations, it says, uh, I have everything I need, or I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I have everything I need. Because that's our relationship. I look to him for whatever I need. We've been singing in recent weeks a new song uh, called In Surrender. I find freedom in surrender. Remember that song? We did it at summer camp. We've sang it a couple of times here. It's a great song. But what has really captured me about this song, what's grabbed me and what I've been thinking about, is there's this like pre-chorus, just two lines in this middle, middle bit. And it's two lines, and it's fantastic two lines. It said, I find all I need in you. I give everything to you. And those two lines, I'm like thinking, do I? And do I? 
I find all I need in you. I give everything to you. I find all I need in you, God. I give everything to you. This is the sheep-shepherd relationship. The sheep gets everything he needs from the shepherd. What we've just sung, all I, all I have needed, thy hand hath provided. I find all I need in you. And what I realize, this is also a response of a mature believer in Jesus. And so I think probably to the extent that we say and we mean and we live out those two things is the extent of our maturity in Jesus, the depth of our faith. I find all I need in you. I give everything to you. So I find all I need in you. You're the one who sustains me. You're my confidence. You're my assurance. You're my hope, my future, my life. You're the answer to my questions. Everything I need is found in you. And also, God, everything I have, I give to you. As the sheep, I give to you my bleating, my wool, my meat. You have everything, God. You own everything. You are the shepherd and I am the sheep. You have my life because I know that I am safe in your hands because you are the good shepherd. You're the only thing that I give to my life to that I trust 100%. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. If I feel like, and here's the rub, all right? Here's the question we need to ask ourselves. If I feel like there is an area of my life that is lacking, Something that I need that is lacking. It's not the shepherd's fault. The shepherd gives me everything I need. It means there is something that I'm doing that's stopping me receiving what the shepherd has got for me. It means I'm not fully living in my inheritance. And maybe I need to choose a different story. There's a well-known a tale about a young man who's walking along the road. And in the gutter, he sees a frog. And he picks up this frog, and it's an ugly frog. And he's kind of quite chuffed with it, and he puts it in his pocket, and he carries on walking. A little bit down the road, he hears a voice, and he looks in his pocket, and he takes this ugly frog out. And the ugly frog says to him, if you kiss me, I'll become a beautiful princess. And the young man kind of looks around, and he smiles to himself, and he puts the frog back in his pocket. And he carries on walking. Two minutes later, he hears a voice again. And he takes the ugly frog out, and the frog says, I think he probably didn't hear me. I said, if you kiss me, I will turn into a beautiful princess, and you can marry me. And the man, he's like, oh. And he smiles, and he, and he puts the frog back in his pocket, and he carries on walking. A few minutes later, he hears the voice again, but this time it's even more insistent. And he takes the, the ugly frog out and he looks at it and the ugly frog says, look, you're obviously not getting this. If you kiss me, I will turn into a beautiful princess. You can marry me and we can live in my wonderful castle and live happily ever after. And the young man looks at the frog and he says, marrying a beautiful princess would be great, but a talking frog is even better. And he puts it in his pocket. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. I'm here all week. Sometimes we miss out on what God is offering. Sometimes we miss out on our inheritance because we're so enamored with a frog, with what we've, what we've got. 
And he's got stuff that's so much better. He's got a life that is so much better beyond what we can imagine or even ask. And sometimes we keep hold of the wrong things or we chase the wrong things. Uh, Jesus in Matthew 6 says this, Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans, he's talking about kind of people who don't believe in God, people who haven't got that relationship with God. They run after these things. And your heavenly Father, he knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom. And seek first his righteousness. And all these things, the, the eating and the drinking and the wearing, all these things will be given to you as well. This is what he's offering to us. Seek first his kingdom. You can have this, Paul writing to the Philippian church said this, My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have everything I need. I lack nothing. Do you want to have a life that lacks nothing? Do you want to have a life where you're confident you have everything you need? Maybe it's time to choose a different story. All right, verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. So what David is saying, this is written by King David, and what he's saying is, uh, I get my, find my rest, I find my peace in my shepherd. The shepherd is the one who brings me to the place of rest and brings me to the place of peace. And I love this idea of green pastures. Is there anything more satisfying than a beautiful green lawn that's freshly mown? Anything at all? No. You're absolutely right, Daniel. It's so satisfying. A nice, freshly mowed. And I think it's probably why I like golf so much. I love golf because of all the, you know, beautifully mowed, lush green fairways. And I like to hit that little white ball. And I often miss the lush green fairways. But I can still see them from the rough where I'm usually standing. It's funny. Uh, uh, Bev this week, she saw a, an article or heard an article and she told us at small group that uh, and it was brilliant. They've done a study and apparently uh, people who play golf live five years longer than people who don't. There we go. So I'm still going to keep eating all the rubbish I eat and I'm going to play golf. <laughs> and apparently now they're even prescribing it on the NHS. Golf. That's a great day right there. But did you know what? Uh, something. Coming to church, the studies have also shown, does the same thing. People who come to church live something like five to ten years longer than people who don't. They should prescribe that on the NHS. Yeah. All about that. Definitely. So, yeah. so I'm going to play golf. I'm going to come to church. Man, my love. Oh, just call me Methuselah. Definitely. All right, so uh, where are we? Um, the best story to choose is one that looks for their rest in Jesus. This is what Jesus says about rest. He says, come to me. You're wondering how to find rest? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's not saying that you won't ever have trouble. It's not saying that life will be easy. 
Because it's not. Life actually is quite difficult, which is why we need Jesus. You know, when you're weary and burdened, because we will get weary and burdened with things, but we come and we just give it to Jesus. Life is hard, but we need his presence to help us through it. And that's where we find rest in the midst of life's hearts. His way is a way of peace. And if I haven't got, here's the question for us. If, if I'm not experiencing a deep sense of peace, then probably I'm not living in my inheritance. I'm not living in, in the blessings and the promises that he has got for me. And I need, to, I need to stop. I need to make an adjustment. And I need to choose a different direction. I need to choose a different story. Do you want to have peace? Do you want to have rest? Do you want to get well? Okay, uh, next verse. Verse, uh, I think this is great. Verse three, I'm loving it. I don't know about you. This is great for me. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The direction that God wants to move us into, the direction that he will make straight is a way of restoration and recovery. We saw it with the man at the pool of Bethesda, that Jesus not only healed his infirmity, but he recovered his strength. Right? And we said last week, sometimes this infirmity that we've had, this dysfunction that we've had, it feels like it's stolen kind of months or years of our lives because we haven't been living in the fullness of his blessings. But in Joel, the prophet Joel says this, he will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. He's the only one who can do that, who can restore what you've lost. Yes, he can heal you, but he can also restore things to you. You can recover what you think you've lost because your soul is getting bombarded by the troubles of the world all the time. You face difficult circumstances and maybe you're struggling to know how to cope with the stuff that the world thrown at you, the barrage of life. And what you need is a bit of soul restoration. What you need is a bit of soul restoration. And you get that in his presence. I mentioned before that one of my favorite TV programs is The Repair Shop on BBC. I love it. It makes me cry every time. But I love this idea. These people bring their battered, uh, um, kind of broken, un, you know, things that haven't been kept well. They lay them on the counter in front of the guys who are going to restore it. The restorers, they have a big grin on their face. They love it. The, the, the more this thing is damaged, the better. They just, they're just desperate to get into it and that is just a picture of Jesus he waiting for us to bring our brokenness our weakness our infirmity our dysfunctions our habits our sins and lay them on the worktop and Jesus will just smile just enjoy because he's the great restorer he will restore your soul 1 Peter 5 verse 10 says the great the God of all grace will himself restore you and make you strong firm and steadfast. He will do that because he restores my soul. So if, and here's the question again, if I am feeling that my soul is in need of restoration and if my feel, feeling that my life is not going in the direction that it should be and if I feel like my soul's getting battered and I don't know how to respond, it's time to choose a different story. It's time to say to yourself, do I want to get well? Where can I find restoration? Verse 4, the next verse, halfway through. Can you go to the next verse, please, Phoebe? Yay, back one, sorry. 
Oh. <laughs> Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. I don't know if you noticed, I've chosen the New King James Version for this uh, passage today rather than a modern one. I don't know whether it's because we were singing Great is my, Thy Faithfulness. I just felt inspired to go all these and thys on us today. And I like this. Yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yay. It doesn't sound like much fun, does it? The valley of the shadow of death. The valley of the shadow of death. This tells me that there are times in my life when we have to walk through difficult circumstances. Even if I make every decision 100% perfectly. Even if I do everything right, sometimes I'm going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's going to happen. Trouble is part of life. Circumstances, they're part of life. They're going to be seasons where I face these things. But like we said last week, it's not the trouble, it's not the valley that determines the story of your life. What determines the story of your life is how you respond to it, how you respond to the trouble, how we respond to the valleys, how we respond to these things that come against us. How are we going to respond, with fear or with faith? That will determine our story. And the truth is, it tells me his presence will be with me. He's going to be with me. His rod and his staff will comfort me. There's going to be comfort available to me. And if I'm not feeling his comfort in times of trouble, then I'm missing out on my inheritance because that's what he says I should have. That's what he's offering. I love what it says at the beginning of the book of James. And again, it's a strange thing to say. James 1 says this, Consider it pure joy. When you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Pure joy. Yes. Pure, purest joy. When you realize that the money you've got in the bank is not enough to pay your bills this month. Purest joy when you realize that that relationship that you're struggling with is close to breaking. Purest joy when you're looking for a, a home, Ruby, and you're struggling to find a place for you and your family to live. Purest joy when you're struggling to change a habit or a pattern of behavior and you don't know how you're going to do it. What on earth is James talking about? Pure joy. What is that? Well, James, you know, he was Jesus' half-brother. So he's not, we don't take it lightly. He, he was, you know, he's, he's actually one of, the, one of the reasons why I believe that Jesus was who he says he was, the Son of God. Because if his brother believes it, if my brother said that, there's no way I'd believe it. All right? But if your brother believes it, it's got to be some truth in there, right? And his brother, he wrote a whole book about this. But he's saying, consider it joy. And he gives us the reason why. He said, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And this word testing, I've said it before, it's not just about testing to catch you out. It's testing to catch you in. It's, it's, it's also the word proving. The proving of your faith develops perseverance. And that will finish his work. You become more mature and complete. So you get to the end of the valley You've come through it. You look back and you realize, well, now my faith has been proven. I realize I'm stronger than I was before. And I can now face more things, more challenging things because of that. Because I'm stronger now. That's why we count it pure joy. 
It's when we use our muscles that they grow, and using our muscles is hard. But, like we've just sang, 1 Corinthians 10 says, God is faithful. Great is his faithfulness. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. When you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. He's a good shepherd. He will not let you face these things alone. So, yay, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And I discover that he is with me. And he is comforting me. And if I'm not experiencing that, then I'm missing out on my inheritance and it's time to choose a different story. Okay, two verses left. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Would you mind just going to the next slide? Thank you. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Now, in fact, this idea of a running over cup came. My mom brought it today in the prayer time before church this morning, uh, living in the overflow. Somebody else brought it. Somebody else said they had a song this morning. Somebody else said they had the same thing. This idea, God is telling us this morning that we have a cup that is overflowing. Something else I, I realized from this is I've got enemies. There's things coming against me. In my life. But I think this is one of the most joyful pictures that I can imagine. Standing in the midst of those things and people who are coming against me. Shells going off left, right and center. And God has got this table with a beautiful white tablecloth on me. Filled with goodies. And he's saying, look, sit here and just enjoy. In the midst of all this stuff that's going off. That is so joyful. It reminds me of the Battle of Trafalgar, 1805. Okay, Admiral Nelson. Uh, you've got the three greatest navies in all the world. The British Navy, and they're squaring off against the French and Spanish Navy who are allied together. 27 ships in the British Navy, 33 ships in the Spanish and French Navy coming together to, to battle it out off the coast of Trafalgar. And Admiral Nelson... In his flagship, the Victory, I think it was, Victory. He's there, and they see all these ships on the horizon. They're coming towards each other in battle. And what does he do? He calls all these captains to come to the flagship for a spot of tea. So British, right? And all the captains there rode over to the flagship. And, and I love this idea. They're looking through the porthole, and the Spanish and the French Navy are all out, out there, you know, slightly in the distance, not quite ready to do battle there. And they're all drinking and eating and, and having this good time. In this, and there's this confidence about that picture. This con- and I love what Admiral Nelson wrote in his journal. He was ours from this victory, but also his death. He died in the battle, or he died as a result of the battle. And these men are eating together, and this is what he wrote on that morning of the battle. It was a prayer. He said, May the great God, whom I worship, grant to my country, and for the benefit of Europe in general, a great and glorious victory. And may no misconduct in anyone tarnish it. And may humanity after victory be the predominant feature in the British fleet. For myself individually, I commit my life to him that made me. 
May his blessing alight on my endeavours for serving my country faithfully. To him I resign myself and the just cause which is entrusted to me to defend. Amen. What amazing prayer. What an amazing way to go into a battle. I'm about to face a battle. May humanity be the predominant feature. May, may we make good decisions. May I, may I not let myself down. May I not let you down. God. He lays a table before us in the midst of our enemies and he tells us to eat. God intends for us to thrive when kings are come, things are coming against us. And if I don't feel like, here's the question, if I don't feel like I'm thriving in my life, and if I don't have this state of mind that my cup is overflowing, then I am not living in the inheritance that God has for me. And there's something that needs to change. It's time to choose a different story. Okay, last verse, verse 6. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So you've got two halves here. You've got goodness and mercy in my life. So this is the life I'm living now. But also you've got an eternity with Jesus. I'm going to dwell in his house forever. I've got life now and I've got life forevermore. Two things. And these words, follow me, is actually a Hebrew word, radap. Everybody say radap. Wake you up, radap. And I love it because it doesn't mean follow me at all. It actually means chase me. It means they hound me. It means they're pursuing me. They're trying to catch me. They're coming after me, trying to get me. Goodness and mercy are chasing me all the days of my life. Did you ever play kiss chase at school? Yeah? The girl's chasing you, trying to kiss you. Or maybe you were the one chasing, I don't know. No, don't kiss me. Goodness and mercy are chasing you all the days of your life. There really shouldn't be, I said it in prayer time, there really shouldn't be any Christian pessimists. Because our cup is overflowing. We've got goodness and mercy chasing us all the days of our life. We need to choose a story that recognizes and acknowledges this blessing and this favor of God to stop seeing the enemy. or It's there. Stop focusing on the valley. Stop focusing on the one who has promised to be with us forever. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? At, at, um, at summer camp, I, I gave a message on the Monday which was uh, not the whole story. I mean, yes, trouble is there. Yes, things are against us. Yes, there is a valley. But that's not the whole story. He is with us. Goodness and mercy. Stop looking over your shoulder and seeing the enemy. And start looking over your shoulder and seeing his goodness and mercy who are trying to catch up with you. His blessing is chasing you. Do you want to get well? Do we want to get well? Let's get an understanding that God is working for our good. And maybe we need to make a decision today to see things differently, to choose a different story. Therefore, Paul writes to the Corinthians, therefore, we do not lose heart. 
For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. If I am losing heart, if I am discouraged, if I am not recognizing the good that God has for my life, and if I'm not giving praise for his goodness and mercy towards me, and if I'm not living with this eternal perspective, then I am not living in the inheritance that he has for me. And it's time to choose a different story. It's time to choose a different narrative. Do we want to get well? I'm done, and in a moment, Alina's going to come up, and we're going to take communion together, because that seems like a great response. But before... Before she does that, I just want to encourage you this week, don't let this be a, just a good message. Or, oh, that was a message. It was, it, was, it was nice. It was fun. Let this be a God message. I believe this is where God is taking us. I believe this is the message that God wants us to hear for this moment. These last two weeks, I feel like God wants us to change things. He wants us to make that adjustment in the direction of our life, to stop living with our dysfunctions and our infirmities and this ways of doing things that we know are not helpful, but with his help to make a difference. Let me just pray, and Alina's going to come up. Lord God, thank you for your word. I thank you that we that you have offered us an inheritance. You had offered you have offered us uh, blessing. You offer us goodness and mercy, and you desire that we living thrived, spirit filled lives, moving towards the promised land, living in the promised land. God, we, we offer our lives to you, and we ask that the Holy Spirit this week would shine a light on those areas that we need to change. We offer our lives to you once again. Do your work in us. Amen.